0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome. This week is episode number 508. We're coming to you live from the University of Texas at Austin for the open house of the Test House. that is part of the Sloan Foundation program they call Home Chem which is a fascinating program. We've really been enjoying ourselves here, and we're pretty much set up, ready to go. I'm going to have, hopefully, Dr. Corsi will be with us. I've got Dr. Attila Novoselic, Dr. Marina Vance, and Dr. Delphine Farmer. And Bob Crow of Healthy Indoors is also on board with us here today. Before we get started, let's thank our
0: sponsors. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's j-o-n-d-o-n.com. IAQ Radio Gold Sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at particlesplus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLInc.com. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry, network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. All right, please be
1: sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio. Let's turn over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
0: And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry to report there was no correct answer to last week's trivia question, identifying
1: Public Employees' Occupational Safety and Health, POSH as the organization that develops and enforces occupational health standards for New Jersey's public sector's workers. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, June 22, 2018, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's question. When the University of Texas at Austin first opened with a mission to change the world, how many professors did the school have? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. And uh, we've got a great group here. We've been touring the uh, facility. And, John, I don't know if you put up the slide. We had uh, with the three questions So the program. Was designed to answer three questions. Now we're going to have Dr. Richard Corsi on with us today. We'll go to the next one, John. Dr. Attila Novoselic is joining us. He's PhD at the Department of Architectural and Environmental Engineering at the University of Texas. Next. Marina Vance, Dr. Vance is assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering, and she's at the uh, University of Colorado in Bo- Boulder. And Dr. Delphine Farmer is an, also an associate professor in the Department of Chemistry at Colorado State University. So we're at the, the Home Chem grand opening or open house today, and it's been a little crazy with people going in and out and uh, running around. We've got test instruments everywhere. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, though, and I think what we're going to start with is I'd like to get Dr. Novoselic to talk a little bit about the uh, about, about the house itself. You know, we, we've got a very interesting, it's a, uh, I guess, manufactured
2: housing, about 11 years old. Is that accurate? Yes, correct. So pretty much the house is built in 2007, and uh, since then it has been used for various experiments, uh, specifically for indoor air quality and building performance. And uh, yes, it is pre-manufactured home, uh, uh, typical for uh, actually, I think, uh, a fraction, fraction of the population. So it is uh, uh, retrofitted quite a lot uh, uh, for running experiments uh, specifically associated with air quality. And uh, uh, the house itself is uh, not as valuable as uh, what is happening in the house. And uh, if you just look at every single instrument here, it's probably more valuable than the house. But it's really, really give us a great opportunity to run these full-scale experiments. Uh,
1: Is there $5
2: million worth of equipment somewhere in the
3: We counted $4.5 uh, million. $4.5
1: million. OK, let's it's talk face. And uh, it's just fascinating, all the equipment throughout the room and throughout these buildings. But uh, the, the questions you're trying to answer are what are the sources of chemical oxidants in the indoor environment? How are they impacted by changes in light conditions and human activities? The second one, what are the main sources of organic compounds in the indoor environment? And, the, and there's there's more to it. We'll get back to that. And what are the sources of indoor reactive nitrogen species? And to what extent is their presence in, indoors influenced by outdoor pollution? That's a mouthful. Well, tell us a little bit, Doctor, uh, Dr. Formart. <clears throat> you more about Person, right? Chemistry outdoor person. What's your role in the project?
4: Yeah, so my history has been really in thinking about outdoor chemistry and how things like forests and humans can influence the air we breathe outside. So I I was brought on and met Nina Vance, and we started thinking about what's happening inside, and it is absolutely mind-blowing there are so many more molecules inside than we have seen anywhere outside and i've i've been doing urban air quality studies in places like mexico city and uh and all over the united states and and indoors inside a, a standard little house here in, in austin texas where the outdoor air pollution is is really not that bad it's pretty clean here indoors just a whole different ball game a
1: different world, huh? and uh, dr vance I, I- I believe you've worked maybe a little in the indoor air world prior, because I know you, Dr. Hernandez, we have been on the show, Mark Hernandez. and What's your role?
3: So I don't come from the outdoor atmospheric chemistry world. I'm an environmental engineer, and my background is on assessing people, people's exposures to real-world situations involving consumer products and other, you know, real-world scenarios. So coming to Home Chem and thinking about the experimental design and how we could make home chem um, assess real world situations was sort of my, my job in the campaign. Um, so I come very much from an indoor, indoor world experience. I've, I've assessed uh, the release of nanoparticles from the use of consumer products and uh, air pollution or aerosols emitted from things like 3D printers and other office products.
1: OK, I want to, let's start with the building itself. Let's go back to Dr. Novoselic. The building we talked about is manufactured housing,
2: three bedroom. Yeah, three bedroom, beds, so about Eleven, twelve thousand. Uh, sorry, twelve hundred uh, square feet. And you have two
1: mechanical systems: one in the cross, two, three. So one in the crawl space, one in the attic. And,
2: and the front. yes, uh, pretty much. When we bought this house, we wanted uh, it was designed. With the idea to run different experiments, and uh, in some situations we wanted to have uh, underfloor supply systems uh, or in other overheads, uh, and that's uh, those are two typical air systems, uh, air distribution systems, uh, which are probably ninety percent, ninety-five percent of U.S. homes. However, we have also. uh, project, uh, in, in one of the previous projects, we looked uh, uh, what how the hydronic system uh, operates in the house and uh, we built the third one, pretty much, that's a faint a, a wall based uh, with uh, uh, chilled water and hot water distribution cool. systems. So again, depends on the experiments, we turn on one or the other. In this one specifically, we use uh, the air overhead system, which is the most common. That's what I
1: noticed. The, the floor registers are taped off right
2: now and you're, you're doing most of the air overhead because it's the most common? It's most common and it was most suitable for this uh, experiment because we wanted to have as uh, good as possible mixing uh, in, in the environment uh, so that uh, we don't get uh, position sensitive measurements. So we operate this as, uh, as a, <coughs> uh, a pretty much single zone uh, so that uh, you, your, our results are not uh, spatial dependent. Okay. And, uh, this way, uh, we focus on phenomena which will want to isolate. Not so much uh, uh, what will be the air distribution and how will it move from one room to the other. Okay. And then,
1: I also doing tracer gas testing. Is that or you were at one point? Was, who's doing that? Going it that way as opposed to, I don't know. You did, did you do blower door testing too, to to get, get the tightness of the home?
2: Yes, that there was probably two months of preparation for this uh, experiment by what we call building characterization. And uh, among many other stuff, uh, we did a blower door test, which is a standard test for measuring uh, air tightness on the envelope. And uh, this oh, one, sorry, so this one here at uh, 50 Pascal, we have something like six to seven air exchange rate, which is. Uh, Relatively airtight uh, uh, home, so pretty much it's it's uh, it's not uh, zero energy home, but uh, it is uh, mo- better than typical home. Sure. So, tighter than typical home. home. So, oh, very close, by, let's say yeah, very very similar to. I'm
1: curious about the crawl space because we have a lot of problems with crawl spaces. Is, is, it, an, um, is it a conditioned? space.
2: No, it is not. So this is uh, it is vented crawl space. So uh, the air is well circulated because that was one of our previous measurements. We used tracer gas to uh, see what's the air exchange rate in the crawl space, and also we did as a building characterization. We measured uh, uh, what's the communication in between crawl space and and occupied space. So, but there's a test which we developed, uh, and and. Uh, it came out that it's very airtight, so pretty much it is hardly measurable. So if the fresh air comes into this house, it's come it comes through through the windows, small holes for penetration. But for this campaign specifically, uh, we are running dedicated fresh air supply system. So we mm-hmm. have uh, a supply air uh, which is constantly uh, pumping air, other air into the uh, into the space, uh, because we didn't want to have fluid dynamics. Uh, 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 affecting measurements. So, and we didn't want to uh, uh, be uh, weather condition dependent results because we have uh, variation in the weather conditions. And that since this is uh, experiments with, we uh, uh, repeat some experiments with some preparation uh, Probably uh, Nina and Delphine can talk more about that and should probably in a minute. Uh, but the idea was really, really to exclude uh, ventilation. As a variable in this experiment. So I right? said so you yeah. want to
1: exclude ventilation
2: altogether. No, body. the impact of it, no, we have ventilation, but variation in ventilation. We okay, variation, we want to keep it consistent. Exactly.
1: When you check the crawl space system, how much of the crawl space air got into the house?
2: Actually, almost nothing. Uh, because we managed to have s- uh, a slight pressurization of the house with a, with a fresh air supply, and uh, pretty much uh, uh, we don't have almost. this. These experiments are, are um, we don't have. Of course, the building of a test house, in one of the experiments, actually punched the holes you know, to produce that, uh, uh, but not in this.
1: What about the attic? You've got a system in the attic. Is that a addition to attic, or is it also ventilated?
2: No, it is a, a tight uh, uh, attic, just naturally ventilated. It's a very small attic because it's pre-manufactured homes. They don't have uh, okay. uh, tall attics. This is just probably 8-inch uh, uh, thick uh, crawl space, and it's vented by other air. But again, uh, the pre-manufactured homes are well built. I'm not sure that uh, they use the best materials, But uh, uh, this one here is very airtight, and it's still airtight, and we don't have all the communication with Attic. Uh,
1: Another question came came to my mind when we were talking about the... uh, Oh, um, on your mechanical system, what type of filtration do you have?
2: So for this specific campaign, again, we decided not to uh, focus on filtration systems. So we have... For fresh air, we have very very coarse filter just to prevent that uh, bugs get in, and uh, and we frankly mimic uh, uh, infiltration because infiltration is coming uh, through cracks and windows uh, 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 under door, uh, and uh, some particles get stopped, large particles. That's what we do in this uh, 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 with our mechanical ventilation system, but we don't filter ozone. We don't filter pretty much anything. Uh, 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 which is happening uh, into the hu- in-house because we are focusing here identifying chemistry, and we didn't want to take away <laughs> that. Sure, uh, sure.
1: And you want it to be like a normal home. Yes, yes exactly. Well, let's go over to Dr. Vance for just a moment. Could you tell listeners a little bit about the different types of experiments that are going on here? Are you the best, maybe Dr. Farmer? Okay. Absolutely. What is there, 20 different?
3: we have we have different categories of experiments and we have different activities performed for each experiment so first we have uh the types of activities that we have are based on everyday activities that people would be performing in their own homes so we're focusing on cooking cleaning and the use of personal care products or occupancy so for cooking we have chosen uh a few experimental meals we have a breakfast meal we have a stir fry meal for lunch and we have a chili meal for dinner we also tried a lasagna we have different experimental meals all of them were decided on a basis of chemistry and whether that's a common you know a common meal that somebody else might be making you know at least in the united states or in the western world um and the students
1: do the cooking is that
3: So we have anonymous volunteers performing oh, the activities in the house I
5: see yes
3: okay. so that's cooking. For cleaning, we chose mopping the floors as our experimental activity because um, it's very easy for us to get a mass transfer from the you know, the water phase, the things that you put on the floor, to the gas phase, and then we can watch that chemistry happen. Uh, we have three different types of cleaning products that we're testing during this month of experiments. We have a pinene based cleaner, a chlorine-based cleaner, and then an all-natural, um, advertises all-natural cleaner as well. Um, we might actually add a different one for the last week as well. Uh, we're discussing some, you know, as we watch the data real time, we, we make a few changes to the experimental design. Um, and the last category is uh, the use of consumer products and human occupancy. So for that experiment, we don't have any activities performed in the house. People are simply invited to come in, occupy the space. They're usually working on their computers. But then we have a little bit of input on the types of personal care products that they use before coming in that day. So, we had three different days of activity. The first day was uh, the use of all natural products. So, things that are advertised or according to your own perception, what do you consider to be cleaner, greener, more natural? And that's what people were, you know, uh, advised to wear um, after their last shower. What's
1: an example of something people think is cleaner and greener?
3: Um, I mean, there's brands of deodorant that say, you know, they're aluminum-free, so they're all natural. And there's organic brands of shampoo and, and hair conditioner, you know, that say that they don't use phthalates and they don't use other um, other organic compounds, and it's just going to be very interesting for us. I, my personal hypothesis was, you know, is the VOC emission any different from a regular consumer product? So that was that. That's day one of experiments. Day two, people are the same people, roughly the same people come in, uh, wearing what they usually wear on an everyday basis. Uh, most of the volunteers are from the academic world. I think their average use might be low compared to some other cultures. I'm not sure. We'll find out. And for the third category is the go crazy on your products day. Pretend you're going to a really <clears throat> important party and you really want to put on a lot of you know perfume or other categories of products that you may consider uh, that are strongly scented, and we'll see if we can tell a difference, not just in concentration, but in the, the types of chemical species we can detect in the air. Well, I
1: know you're not done, right? We're still doing this. Is there another week of There's
3: a whole other week left of home cam, yes.
1: Okay. Are there any early little pieces of info you can give us some of the maybe off these posters or
3: Oh sure. What we found is I mean it's been so interesting as Dauphine already um mentioned a little bit, the concentrations of volatile and semi volatile species and particles indoors are much, much higher than outdoors. Most things are much higher than outdoors. Uh, Something like ozone is a lot lower indoors than outdoors. In fact, we've had very little ozone detected um, in the house. Um, And in terms of particles, what's already been shown in the literature is that whenever you have a cooking event, you have a huge, huge spike of particulate matter happening indoors. And um, that's something that we've confirmed over and over with very good repeatability during home camp. Is it
1: just particulate, or do you also see spikes in In volatile organic compounds? compounds. Very much so,
3: yes. Yes. You know,
1: we've heard like, I don't know, three to five times higher indoors than outdoors, or three to 10 times. Are you seeing even more?
3: Probably more. It depends on the species, but yes.
1: Let's let's ask Dr. Farmer. What do you see? I mean, this has got to be all kind of different for you,
3: huh? Yeah, we are seeing
4: everything. Um, And I'm not actually joking about that. You know, we have these instruments that are incredibly sensitive. So, for example, my group has been building mass spectrometers where we can detect all sorts of unique molecules. There are research groups here that have brought these fancy gas chromatograph instruments. Every instrument is seeing peaks, um, peaks are of molecules across every sort of gradient we can imagine. So across every type of volatility, every type of carbon, every type of uh, nitrogen species, we're seeing huge numbers of them and a, and a very large diversity of molecules. And I think it's the diversity that is astounding to me almost even more than, than the concentrations themselves. The concentrations are high, but it's, it's not just one or two things. It's, it's everything in the organic carbon so you mentioned
1: ozone was lower inside yeah. than out. there any other?
4: Yeah, so um, sulfate aerosol, which is uh, one component that is you, you release sulfur from, say, diesel trucks, uh, and that gets oxidized and forms sulfate aerosol particles outside uh, coal-fired power plants or another source of that. We see that outside. We see much less uh, inside, though we still see some. So that's another example of a molecule we're seeing outdoors but not indoors. Now
6: you, you know, the, uh, the experimentation is when you're doing the occupant uh, simulations, those are for short duration, right? You have, you have the volunteers coming in for a short period of time. So you're not getting 24-7 occupancy. Well, so how, so, how do you, how so do you so account for that? So we're
4: not getting 24-7 occupancy. We're getting things. So, for example, the mopping, the, the volunteers will come in and mop for about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, and then they leave. And the cooking can take a little longer, and then the volunteers are, of course, encouraged. They they get to sit down and eat the meal that they just cooked, and then they leave. So most of those days, the occupancy is in little bursts of maybe 20 minutes up to about an hour. On the, the other type of day that, that Dr. Vance just talked about was the layered days where we have people coming in in the morning and they cook breakfast and then they clean and then they cook lunch and then they clean up and then they cook dinner. There we're talking occupancy from around 8 in the morning through till about 6 o'clock in the evening. So we're getting a much larger array there. And then in the evenings, we don't have any occupants and we, we allow the house to sort of resettle back to a to the, just the house background itself. And so we watch, and for some molecules, that just takes a few minutes to, to, to re-equilibrate, for the walls to then find their equilibrium with the air again. Other molecules or particles, it might take several hours to do that. And then the next day, we're restarting.
1: Okay. I'm wondering, um, and maybe this is for Dr. what did you repaint the... Where this all started,
2: or is this eleven-year-old paint? Uh, most of the house has eleven-year-old paint. However, you will see some uh, imperfections in the uh, paints, and uh, because again, uh, the house has been used uh, for many years, and uh, sometimes one experiments really, really, uh, included hanging out some gigantic panels of uh, 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 passive uh, removal paint. Uh, so panels uh, with passive removal paints, and. Uh, That was removed a long time ago, but uh, there were some stains and uh, we just fixed that. Uh, But yes, this is uh, uh, most of the house,
5: 90% of the surfaces uh, is the original. original, uh, What
1: do you find? I mean, are you finding still 11 years later the chemicals came from the paint or in your experiments?
2: I probably can just talk about pumping solid reactivity because we have been doing ozone experiments for a while. And uh, it is reactive almost as uh first uh, day. I'm
7: not sure if it's a paint or, or, or uh, some oils and the uh, positions uh, are still plates, uh, uh, but uh, it, it didn't change. Mm-hmm. At least uh, I'm not sure uh, uh, for, for uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go, ahead. Oh, Go
5: ahead.
3: Just to add that, we. Most of our measurements are done in the air phase of the house, so we have inlets poking through the house, bringing the air into our instruments that are doing measurements 24 7, but we also have another additional category of experiments that came came through shortly before Munkham, and if you go over to our kitchen area, what we have, what I call is our little surface colony. There's a wall that's been covered with glass panels, and there's a painted material and a few other types of surface materials that researchers have brought from their universities and then they're swabbing those surfaces and analyzing them as well to try to get to some of those questions I and see. understand how, what role do the surfaces play in
1: the chemistry of the air? Okay. Awesome. Well, I thought you, oh, I thought you um, When we were talking about that, it, it brought up another thought, formaldehyde. You know, we hear a lot about formaldehyde in indoor environments. Who would be best to talk about what you're finding? Are you looking for, I'm sure you're looking at formaldehyde. What do we find?
4: Yes, so formaldehyde is a really interesting molecule. It's really, really small and it's incredibly challenging to measure. So, we do have one instrument that is capable of making a very accurate measurement of formaldehyde the UC Berkeley's Fermented Reaction Mass Spectrometer. Uh, bit of a mouthful, but a really cool instrument. That one is capable of measuring formaldehyde. What's interesting to me is that. You know, we talk to people and formaldehyde is at the forefront of everyone's mind in the indoor air quality world. But it's just one small peak in our instrument. And, and there are lots of other molecules up it. So we're certainly seeing it and it's there. But relative to everything else in the home, it's actually quite small. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to thinking about long-term effects, that's a different question that I don't have an answer for you yet, but mm-hmm. uh, but we'll be
5: investigating those sorts of questions in the next
6: year too. So, so I mean, one question I had is, I, I know you're looking at ultrafine particles. That's part, part, part of your study. Um, any revelations there? I mean, I think that's in the indoor air quality industry, it seems to be, Uh, a constituent that people don't look at enough, at least as far as the practitioners in the field. Certainly on the research side, I think you do. But in the field, there's limited instrumentation to go out and do real-time ultrafine particles.
3: I agree with you. And there are multiple reasons for that, right? There's limited instrumentation. And then all of the regulatory standards, I know there are no standards for a home environment indoors, but we base all of our decisions on the regulation that we see for outdoors. And all of that is done on a mass basis, right? But then if you look at ultrafine aerosols and the potential health effects, they amount to almost no mass. Um, And what what we're seeing is that there is a huge amount of uh, of ultrafine aerosols, especially during cooking events. Um, Particles grow over time and they become bigger and bigger, but really the peak, if you look at the number of particles present indoors, their peak is definitely in the ultrafine range, so less than 100 nanometers in size.
6: And you're seeing that more... um during the cooking phase, that, I know Lawrence uh, uh, Berkeley Labs, you know, did that research several years back and saw a lot of uh, spikes during the during the time when they were actually cooking.
3: Yeah, exactly. And we have a we have a gas stove in the test house. It's uh, running on proofing. The second you turn on the gas stove, we can already see some particles, and then the moment you start cooking. Then you know, as you can imagine, you can you can see things coming off of the food. You're heating up the food, and you're what's happening is a lot of that, uh, a lot of the organic material that's part of the food itself, and the oils and everything else, is very high temperature so but then the encounter temperature, which is much, much lower, shortens way, distance then that and then the oil very, very small particles.
1: Hmm we got to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back for the second half of our interview here at the University of Texas, Austin, at the Test House, the home
0: Camp project. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N dot com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org. And RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Okay, we played a
1: little musical chairs on the break, and we brought in Dr. Richard Corsi. Welcome back. It's been too long. It's just good to have you. This is a great great event. Uh, I'm sure you're uh, up to your ears with things to do, but if you could just put what's been your biggest um, what's your biggest take home for the listeners you you do in the the field kind of thing what what, would people doing IEQ investigations, what are they going to learn? So uh, great question. I think
7: that we've been doing research on indoor chemistry for a couple of decades now um, without the tools that are being brought to bear here in the home chem study um, we've noticed a lot of things in indoor environments never really fully understood them and i think this study is going to help us to better understand things that we've observed in the past but never really understood why they were happening um, we have a lot more sophisticated instrumentation measuring a lot more things measured simultaneously before and I think between the cooking events which are telling us a lot about how cooking especially cooking with gas affects indoor chemistry and the cleaning events which tell us about different types of cleaners and how they affect indoor chemistry we've never really dug into those things to the depth we needed to in the past or in the past and those are two activities that are very very common activities that were built into the program by Delphine and Nina in our planning program
1: that I think are going to tell us a lot about those kind of extreme events, those extreme conditions that happen in people's homes that kind of generate bursts of materials in the house. You know. And yeah, we've been tied up, haven't got a chance to look around. At what kind of ventilation do you have over the? Is there a hood over the stove? Uh, what, what do we got going over there? So
3: there is a hood over the stove, but in order to this experiment is representative to the average home as possible. We're not using a hood.
1: You're not using, okay, okay. Um,
3: from anecdotal evidence and just talking to everyone I know, I noticed that people don't actually run their food, have a hood, and we wanted the study to be more general about the emissions from cooking. And then, um, and I know there's been some studies, including the Lawrence Berkeley Lab, on individual hoods. So we don't want we want the specific model. Of this specific hood and the type filtration
1: system that it has to dictate our results. So, I'm not okay. about it. Let's go back to Dr. Corsi. And, John, let me know if you
3: can
7: hear okay. okay. Can I mean, just to add something that Nina said? So, in one of the picking events, at least looking at some of the preliminary data, the data suggests that people need to use their hoods yes. okay. <laughs> extremely high. Of nitrogen concentrations, mm-hmm. which especially nitrogen dioxide can be quite harmful to the occupants of buildings. That's and, respiratory, and would,
1: or yeah, it's a respiratory or respiratory, for sure. Yeah. Years. So,
7: um, so I, I hope that by doing this kinds of, of research and, and looking at things at the level of all the research material we're looking at, that perhaps it'll lead to changes in. Building codes. Uh, perhaps there shouldn't be homes built anymore in the United States You don't properly exhaust, uh, uh, you know, uh, stoves and ovens. Right? Yeah. So, so and and ought to be even in in home sales. Perhaps if you don't have an exhaust net, you should have, be required to retrofit so you can exhaust outdoors. Which my wife and I had to do in our home. We had one of those stokelets that just basically circulated the air right sure. back, and it's just going through a So hmm. I think the results from this are already telling us something that preliminary results about the importance of ventilating on your coating.
1: Okay, go ahead. And I just want to add one
4: anecdote to that effect. The... Um University folks have brought a, a very sensitive aerosol mass spectrometer that looks at particles. And they actually brought it uh, with the same group of people that they sent up to Kathmandu in Nepal. And they were looking at emissions uh, in outdoor systems, at air, in Kathmandu. What we'll see is massive amounts of really dirty cooking, right? So, uh, freestyle fires, and then solid fuel. And and so, there's a huge pollution problem in Kathmandu. And the levels that that they're seeing inside the house when we say, we're Thanksgiving turkey, are substantially higher than anything they saw in the air in Nepal. So that, to me, really just reinforces the idea that ventilation and really thinking about this indoor
1: source is incredibly important. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to Corbett Lunsford. I just want to introduce Corbett. Um, Corbett, I know you've got a tiny house and you run around the country and you're a TV star. or will be. Is it on? It's not on yet. Yeah, it's called home diagnosis.
8: It's- home diagnosis. It's probably the first TV series ever about building science and about home performance, which this is important for them. And somebody like me, Grace, and I are both on this project as not researchers. We're like, we don't really belong in this lineup. Um, (laughs) We're more authors and communicators. And so, what's really shocking to me is that the amount of information that is gotten by the academic community about buildings and about indoor chemistry and the atmosphere and all this stuff is very, very out But I do. As a contractor, and as anybody in the building industry would say, it does not get cared down the uh, ladder. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> nice, right. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but what we've been learning is that there are things that we can incorporate from the academic research. That, and the amount of diagnostics to somebody like a seller is doing on this house—like he's been testing this stuff for eleven years—I spend five hours in this house. Right. So. I, you know, one of the things I want to do while I'm here is sit down with him taking lunch and be like, what else can I be doing with my five hours? It's going to be anything close to what you're finding out. But I think that all of the proof and the proof is possible message is really what we're trying to focus on. It's not about energy. It's, just, it's not about comfort even. It's about, like, control. Do you want to know for a fact what's going on in the house? And that is so critical. And This is where we find out what is actually going on. And this is, like, the beginning, right? The tip of the iceberg is this month. And I think Richard said that we're going to find out more in this month of testing than we have in the last two decades of testing because the instruments that we're using are so much better. So when we're spending this amount of money and time, and over the next ten years, what we find out is just going to, I hope, revolutionize the entire construction industry. Uh, sure.
5: Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for welcoming to the party, Grace. <laughs> um, well, I think for for me, I think the unique part of being on this is. I am like the general American public who maybe has a little bit more of an intrigue because uh, I've been married to this guy and telling his story for a couple of years. I'm sorry, I'm just, but at the same time, I've just had babies in the last two years. Okay. and which still sounds kind of incredible <laughs> me. Um, but a lot of this indoor air quality is, is very concerning to me and are tiny little systems and the cleaners I use and, and frankly even how I cook. That's now something that I'm reconsidering. We're about to build another house, and
1: we've got to decide on the kitchen. Do we go gas? Do we go electric? We're just gonna but boil everything. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I <think>. <laughs> <laughs> Do good? Yeah. I saw a video. Corbin, you were on at the end, and you were like, I, "I thought I knew a little bit about indoor air quality. I know nothing about indoor <laughs> air quality." But I, I, there are a lot of energy. You know, home performance guys getting into indoor air quality world. Um, what will you say to them now that you've had this experience here? I mean, are there tips you would give them? Is there some, uh, and I know I didn't give you this in, in advance, but no, no, I'm just curious right. just, what, right. what are your so, thoughts? I, mean, I would say the first thing is that everybody
8: who's doing any work in homes is already working in the air quality, whether they have know it or not, right? And they're mostly doing things that are accidental, so they're going to be having effects on people's. So. When they put in a recirculating bed, when they don't put in any back exhaust fans, um, when they cook all day long with the windows closed, you know, anything like that, even homeowners are doing this. They have a
5: downdraft then, they think it's working. Right, and I think that the main
8: problem that we have, and I'm sure that you already have seen this many times, is that we tend to open our mouth and we don't know what we're talking about. And I'd say that that is how diagnostics. <laughs> so anybody can go in their house and run around about what they think. But really, we also have measurements, which I do on a very light level. And even as a guy who wrote a book about how to do diagnoses, what I do is nothing compared to what they're doing this month. Um, and so any testing that we can do in construction, I think, is going to help us to really stop talking about imaginary things and so think, you know, basically, basically, cross, basic I idea. We got in six. I think the idea of measuring itself—if we can just get people to understand that you should measure things in your house and not just the size of your rooms for your carpeting—that is going to revolutionize the entire field. And hopefully, energy readers will understand more about the indoor air quality side of things and understand that. Like I think, what we're going to find out is Sloan does not fund human health research. But once other foundations jump on board, what we will probably find out is what they found out elsewhere in the world is that the health effects of home performance are outshadowed. Anything has to do with energy efficiency. Energy efficiency is
1: nothing compared to the health. If I-, if I go back to the group here, I'm, I'm curious about carbon monoxide. Who, who can tell me about what you're doing with respect to carbon monoxide, Dr. Yeah. Farmer?
4: So- one of the instruments that we have here on site is actually an instrument owned by Drexel University, and that instrument is measuring carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and
5: methane uh, really, really well.
4: Uh, so again, we're definitely seeing it. We see an increase when there are cooking events, uh, not too surprising. I will say that actually a little more interesting to me as a chemist is carbon dioxide, the CO two measurements, mm-hmm. and we see that, of course, when people walk into the rooms, so we see these huge increases. CO2. But we also see them when we're cooking. Let's say we have a gas stove. And you know, the CO2 can get to be pretty high. We've got that cooking in the for several hours. Uh, and, and then you, you just keep going, and then you have you know, 10 people come over for dinner, and you just see those CO2 levels go really high. But yes, we definitely are also seeing carbon monoxide. I will say that we haven't seen any of those levels go to a danger.
1: Uh, we yeah, yeah. So,
4: so I'm
5: not going to
7: put a number on the will <laughs> <laughs> <after> the that but when people are touring the house, you notice that the carbon dioxide levels <laughs> hit about seven or eight thousand parts per million, just with fifteen bodies in here looking at the house, right? So that was you know, they've the party people having a bunch of people over at their house for a party. The door and the window is closed, and you superimpose on that, because you can superimpose the sources of CO2, mm-hmm. superimpose on that with what, 7,000 7, ppm from cooking?
5: Yeah. So yep. suddenly
7: you're up to 15,000 ppm, mm-hmm. if you're having a party, the window's closed, and somebody's cooking uh, during the party, you're ready for a Those are pretty high levels of carbon dioxide, oh, to levels that would be scrubbed on submarines, right? Right, so you don't have to drink Sure. All right.
4: All right. And, and I also have been wondering if the reason I get so sleepy after eating turkey is, is not the truth. But so maybe we'll to too, which is produced. Yeah,
6: we do no. Well, I think one of the questions too is like, you know, the Harvard uh, Syracuse University, Syracuse Center of Excellence Study, you know, cited fairly low levels of carbon dioxide you know, basically having cognitive impairment. You know, so what, what is you know what's the difference between what's what's safe? You know, or what, what's a true, you know, clinical problem, or something that maybe at least moderately adversely affects uh, the occupants?
7: So I'm, there's been four or five studies now by different groups on the cognitive effects of carbon dioxide, and they, by and large, conflict with one another. So there are teams in the Danish Technical <coughs> University in Scandinavia who, who, who suggest, or the research shows, that pretty high levels without any cognitive effects. So, so I think this is still an area that needs more research, and the question really is, the carbon dioxide. It's causing effects, or is it something else carbon dioxide is an indicator of? It? You get a lot of people in the space, and carbon dioxide concentrations increase, but there's a lot of other things that people emit that also increase in that space. Studies like this are going to show what those things are. And it may not be the carbon dioxide itself, it might be something else associated with humans in the space that we're emitting, right? Um, so I think the jury's still out on whether carbon dioxide itself is causing causative effects or whether it's something else associated with sources
6: of carbon and, and perhaps that's a surrogate. You know, the car- carbon dioxide levels indicate what other constituents might be elevating. So one of
7: the studies just
6: injected carbon
7: dioxide from a cylinder into a space where people were and didn't see carbon mm-hmm. and that was an indicator that perhaps it's not the CO2. It's something else associated with
2: the release
1: of CO2 that's also being Okay, I've, I've got another question here and that is there's some New types of testing and analysis is that accurate to say? What is there? Are you working on new techniques or
4: so? We have a lot of new instruments and new technology here for all of the chemical measurements. So we we have some new instruments that are commercially available, but. Uh, The university-based instrumentalists, I'm even more excited about some of the really cutting-edge technology that universities have been developing over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. So we have instruments here where it's the first time they've ever been used to make measurements, and they are getting some of our most... Fascinating data. So one example is from the University of Colorado Boulder. They have this instrument called an EC-TOF, uh, which is a very long acronym that I won't even begin to attempt. <laughs> what I will say is that it is not very easy to run. Uh, it, it's a uh, very large mass spectrometer that is looking at specific molecules that are in particles. And so, for example, they can even see during Thanksgiving the molecules of certain oils from the turkey that are showing up wow. in the particles in the air. Uh, so we have some of this incredible instrumentation that we can track and, and the organic molecules as they move through the house and that we can actually start to think about where they're coming from. And just as Rich highlighted, I think this is one of the really exciting parts is saying not just what are the carbon monoxide, or carbon dioxide, or formaldehyde, not just where is that coming from and what is it doing, but what about all the other molecules that come along for the ride that are present in really trace quantity? And so I think that's exactly what Rich was, was getting at, was this idea that there are all these other things out there that we're breathing, and so are those other molecules just being tracers for sort of the, real, the really interesting stuff here? What
1: about the, someone working on low-cost sensors and and how accurate they are? Who can who can talk to me about that? Dr. Vance, you you got a good you project well. <laughs> so, uh,
3: Dr. Corsi and I are collaborating on evaluating a number of low-cost sensors. Some of them have been supplied by the manufacturers themselves. We have scattered them throughout the house, and some of them we purchased them on Amazon. And what we figured was that this would be a wonderful opportunity to compare them against these high-end instruments that we have monitoring the house at all times. So some of these low-cost sensors are in the kitchen um, environment in the house, and some of them are in the living room. Um, As Dr. Navasalek mentioned, the house is considered well-mixed, but a lot of these particles can absorb onto surfaces and get lost, and some things can react away, you know, as the air is moving through. So we want to get an idea of the spatial homogeneity in terms of chemistry and particles as well. Um, so some of these monitors might actually help us. And we're also um, using, so we're using the experiment to have the monitors help us, but we're also testing the monitors themselves and seeing how they fare in, in, in comparison with the high-end instrumentation.
1: One of the things I noticed is the title includes microbial in it. And I'm uh, wondering if you're looking at maybe what is a normal background of microbial, uh, chemistry in an indoor environment. Who who's my expert on that one? Is I, think I think we're
6: good. Oh, oh yeah. Sean yeah. muted me out <laughs> or something if we're good now. Working up driving.
4: All right. So in terms of microbial uh communities, there's been this recent program that was funded by Sloan to look at the microbial environment inside buildings, and they found that there's a vast uh, microorganisms, bacteria, also viruses, different, of course, on surfaces, but also in the air. That to me is really fascinating. And then the question came well, if we have all these microbes living in the house with us, what else are they doing? Um, they might not be cooking and cleaning in the same way that we are, but. but they're also doing their regular activities and making their home here. So, how is that affecting the chemistry of what we we'll breathe? So, a couple of different groups helping us think about that. University of California in San Diego, that's Rogmaking, Peter Dorskey's group. And they're doing these surface mapping measurements. So they're taking swabs all over the inside of the house. And, and effectively, they're, they're going to then, then measure those spots for all the different chemical compounds and for microbial activity, and they're going to be able to tell us where all of the microbes have been and what their metabolites, so what the microbes are producing. Where is that inside the, the kitchen and the living room, how the the uh, tables, the chairs, uh, and then and the doorknobs, uh, everywhere inside the house. So they're going to be able to map that out. So that's going to tell us what's there and then how did that change from the very beginning of our experiment versus the very end and just see. after the last day. Okay. So that's one part. Then the other aspect we have is a really neat measurement that measures bioparticles. So You've got a, part- is,
1: or a uh, so go poster post behind you on this one. This yeah. In
4: this room. So what's happening is uh, it's called a UV APS. Uh, it measures bioparticles it's from UC Berkeley and that group is looking at larger fluorescent particles and those come from from humans uh, from us just shutting particles off when we walk by or when turns out if you mop vigorously you're gonna of course emit a bunch of your own little bioparticles uh, and so we've been
3: we've got a group looking at that too. You know the what's that Peanuts, I'm not American. What's that peanuts cartoon character?
1: <laughs> pig, pig pen. yeah.
3: So what we found from this study so far is that we are all pig pen. And it just depends on how fast you're moving and maybe the last time you showered or the last time you laundered your clothes. But uh, this instrument that UVAPS, as Delphine mentioned, can, can look at skin flakes and the bacteria that's present in your skin that all fluoresces when it's exposed to UV light. So that instrument can identify the biological component of the particles that are present indoors. And what we've seen is that it's completely dependent on activity. If somebody walks by, we can detect it.
1: Let me ask, I've got a final question. Actually, I've got text questions. I'll try and get to these text questions in a moment, but I want to get everybody's thoughts on this, this particular question. How are you going to take this information and find ways to make it uh, take it from research to practice. You know, we, we, we do all these wonderful experiments and get all these chemicals and lists of microbiological. you know, all the different fungi and mold, But, you know, guys like me and, and Corbid and others have to go out and do something in homes. We'll start with you, Dr. Vance.
3: Um, we are trying. I mean, science communication is, is a complicated thing. And with this program, which uh, is... Also part of the Sloan Foundation program that funded homecam is what we call indoor chem, is a, an umbrella program that encompasses homecam and several other research programs and part of our mission is to better communicate our science so that practitioners and the general public and others can learn from what we're learning and we think that an experiment like homecam is a perfect opportunity that would have been wasted if we didn't try as hard as we can to distill that science down to actionable, a, actionable points, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we have several fronts. Uh, we are trying to establish a Twitter presence. Afterwards, we're going to uh, try to write blog posts that have specific, you know, sp- talking about specific answers that applies to everyday lives. And then we have all these wonderful partners that have joined us, such as Corbin and Grace, uh, to try to help get the message out there and to communicate with the world as well as you guys.
1: We'll do our we'll do what we can. What about all the papers that come out of this? Are they going to be open source or are they going to be in research journals where we can't get a hold of them unless we pay fifty bucks? Uh,
4: so we're, <laughs> We're pretty committed to open access okay. uh, I, I certainly am a great believer in that so along with this this the, as is the Song foundation yeah, so I think we're really aiming to make these articles open access and really trying to to get that information out but I think we really need to rely on on you and on some of these other science communicators in our embracing part, to not just take what we say and, and then try and convey it to the public, but to ask us the follow-up questions and to push us to try and figure out how to make our science, where we're, re- we're really fundamental chemists and engineers of how to take that information and really make it accessible to the public. So I'll, I'll flip this around and say, we're hoping you'll help with that.
5: So I think that's one of the big
7: problems with the industry in general. There seems to be a lot of great research, you guys,
6: at the forefront of that and what you're doing. there's been a lot of, been, been a lot of great research projects done throughout the years. And it, some of it maybe gets distilled down to the industry, to the forward-thinking industry members that actually read peer-reviewed material. You know, but the actual field practitioners that are doing, let's say, remediation work and actually working in the field, they rarely read indoor air. They rarely read you know, you know, these type of uh, publications you know, where you'd see this type of information being distilled. And then taking that down to the general consumer, it just doesn't get there. So, so how, as an industry overall, do all of us take you know, what you the, work, the type of work that you're doing here, the high-end research, the re- really thoughtful uh, studies, and, and turn those into something that is actually meaningful and actionable in the real world? If uh, so I may, <laughs>
8: I'll share our specific strategy. The right. <laughs> um, again, because it. we're not on the research side, Grace and I's job is to tell the story, and that's specifically. So we have in the room the mechanic. The skeptic, uh, the toolmaker, and the frontiersman—these are the cast of characters—and we're and we're missing uh, Leah, who is the traveler. And she's and, been all of them, and years. we're missing Paula, who is the, the orchestrator. orchestrator. Yes. So, so kind of crafting this entire thing, which is all about numbers and particulates, and you know, what will end up in a white paper with no pictures. I just want to make sure everybody knows <laughs> uh, that's very scary. Even I, who you know, I'm, I'm a technical person. I do. I will not read white paper. I just can't do it. So in our opinion, putting things on, and you can find all the videos that we're going to be producing this week and then uh, editing over the next several months on the Home Performance YouTube channel. And those are hopefully going to be shared and embedded by as many people as possible because they're going to include interviews with all of these amazing cast of characters with the house. We're going to do a tour of the labs, and we're going to watch the mass spectrometers do what they do and kind of get the story on all this stuff and how it affects people's lives. Then also putting on all the PBS program, the public television program, uh, home diagnosis program and kind of trying to infiltrate uh, mass communication where it already is. not necessarily asking people to come find a blog article that is embedded somewhere in the internet, but really taking it to them. And we think that video and, and television is an easy way to do that. And then what you guys are doing and anybody else who's listening to this who is also an influencer who loves this show, please take these nuggets and incorporate them and talk about home cam because they, I think that the, you know, the creation home like it says very and i think you know as, as much as we can do to make this part of the lexicon language we'll speak not about price of home and square footage and all that stuff but also what is it that we're
5: breathing and having a lexicon and, and one of the other things we do is really try to draw the analogies like one of our our top videos is that cars were built like houses yeah and it just it steals it right right yeah you're laughing I don't even know if you've fully seen the video but you're like yes I know exactly what you mean well, houses
1: were built like cars it could be
5: indeed that exactly. whole analogy um, and, and we're committed to that openness too so people can embed our videos um, obviously we always love sharing them but I mean, contact us. We're happy to share the story. Honestly, like moms find us because the baby's room is cold and they think it's the windows and they're going to put up some plastic sheeting. And we have a video about plastic sheeting that's very it's popular. One of the oldest videos. You can go see me with a brunette bob. But it starts the wormhole, right? You know, you watch one video and then they suggest. And these home cam videos are now going to start coming in as their suggestions because they're a part of our channel.
1: I've got one more quick text question from a, a listener. Um, are there somewhat similar houses elsewhere in the world? I think it's a great one to finish with. And are there any studies <laughs> comparing results between the test homes and vision?
6: Uh,
2: yeah, there are pretty much uh, the, some uh, houses in Florida, which is mostly energy related. Uh, we have one in Mist, uh, and and they're coming. Uh, uh, I believe that this one here is, the one which has the most comprehensive indoor air quality research uh, conducted over the 11 years period. And uh, I, I think uh, yeah, some comparison already happened uh, specifically with uh, cooking. I uh, uh, missed some work here. Uh, oh, we missed, have some.
1: Yes. National Institute of Standards of Technology.
2: and Technology. Yes. All right. Acronym so, Evan. Uh, I would uh, just like one example, uh, we did quite a lot of work uh, related to the semi-organic uh, emission uh, from, from uh, flooring materials. Uh, I okay. think uh, similar work has been done there. Uh, we didn't really, really run the experiments in the same way, uh, and in that sense, we cannot have really uh, direct comparison, but papers suggest the same things. Uh, uh, so that in that sense, okay. yes, there is.
1: And that's all we need in the field. I don't need down to the 10th. Decimal point. I uh, I need the summary. You know, this is bad. This is good. Uh, you know, so give it to us that way if you can, at least to some degree. Uh, Let's finish up with Dr. Last, Corsi. Last question
7: about translation of research practice. Joe, yes, you know me well. That's
1: that's really important to me.
7: And yes, sir. Uh, when Joe says jump, you need to be my, my show, my jump. Because <laughs> um, I really believe that it's incumbent upon researchers to try to translate what we do to the people that are on the front lines, because we can publish all sorts of great papers and get hats on the back from one another, but it means nothing if it doesn't get translated into practice. So my hope is that from this study, we can come up with, at the end of the study, the 10 things we learned from this study for practitioners in bullet form, in really simple form. We already have one, I think we've talked about, with cooking and vent right? Okay. Um, and we have data to back that up now. I think another one will be related to our low-cost air monitors and how they fare relative to one another. And I think there'll probably be six or seven or eight more. I actually think that researchers ought to have it. There should be a section in every every article we publish that is something related to practical meaning. You know, What 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 do these results mean? To, to force researchers in a way to think about how we can translate this to those that are going to, going to use the results of. Well, I look
1: at this as a continuing uh, episode on our research to practice that we've done in the past, and uh, look forward. I, I want to thank everybody for joining us. It's been wonderful meeting all of you. Great hosts, and thank thanks to Corbett us. and Grace for joining us, and uh, the, the the good doctors here. I got the dream team. Uh, it was great to have you all. This is Radio Joe Yu saying thanks so much to our guests this week, and uh, to you, our our loyal listeners out there, and to Bob Crow at Healthy Indoors Magazine, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, and uh, John, you got to have faith uh, back at the controls. I know it was a challenge for you today, and thanks for your help. We'll be back next Friday. Oh, by the way, next Friday I've got uh, Nick Hurst from EPA's Indoor Air Plus program. Looking forward to a great show with him. So we'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio.
0: For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel, saying thanks for listening.